Section 3 of A Treatise on Bread and Breadmaking by Sylvester Graham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Tatiana Chichilla. Material of Bread Wheat, extent of climate favorable to it, injured by improper tillage, removal of impurities, washing of grain, separation of the bran from the nutrient particles improper, ancient Roman bread, public bakers, use of bad flour, adulterations, poisonous agents used to disguise them. Among the materials used for making bread in our country, and, in fact, of all the known productions of the vegetable kingdom in any country, wheat is decidedly the best, and it is a remarkable fact that wheat comes nearer to man than perhaps any other plant in its power of becoming adapted to different climates, over a wide extent of the earth's surface, so that it may almost be said that wherever the human species can flourish, there wheat can be cultivated. It is not certainly known, says Professor Thompson, in what country wheat was first produced, Mr. Bruce informs us that he found it growing wild in Abyssinia, and in his opinion that kingdom is the native country of the plant. It would seem, continues the professor, to be originally an African plant, since it thrives best in Barbary and Egypt, and perhaps the mountains of Abyssinia, though within the torrid zone may not differ much in point of climate from the more northern plains of Egypt. Wheat is perhaps cultivated over a greater extent of the globe than any other plant. Excellent crops are raised as far north as Sweden in latitude 60 degrees, it is cultivated in the East Indies, considerably within the limits of the torrid zone, and in the north of Hindustan, it constitutes a chief article in the food of the inhabitants. In India, however, the plant seems to have deteriorated. It is always dwarfish, and the crop is said to be less abundant than in more northern climates. Yet a cold climate is not most genial to the nature of this plant. The wheat of France is superior to that of England, the wheat of Italy is still better than that of France, and perhaps the best of all is raised in Barbary and Egypt. Excellent wheat is raised in the southern and western and middle portions of the United States, and even in the northern and eastern parts of New England, very fine crops have been produced. But the wheat and other cultivated products of the vegetable kingdom appropriated to the nourishment of man, like those on which our domestic animals subsist, are too generally, in civilized life, very considerably deteriorated, as to their wholesomeness, by the improper tillage of the soil. I have no doubt that it is true, as stated by those who have made the experiment, that the flour of wheat— raised on a cultivated soil recently dressed with crude stable manure may readily be distinguished by its odor from the flour of wheat raised on a new and undepraved soil or from that raised on a cultivated soil which has been dressed with properly digested manure and if such and similar results of improper tillage can become the sources of serious evil to the human family through their effects on the flesh of animals which man devours and on the milk and butter which he consumes Surely the immediate effects of such a deteriorated vegetable aliment on the human system must be very considerable. They who have never eaten bread made of wheat, recently produced by a pure virgin soil, have but a very imperfect notion of the deliciousness of good bread, such as is often to be met within the comfortable log houses in our western country. It is probably true that the new soil, in its virgin purity, before it becomes exhausted by tillage and debauched by the means which man uses to enrich and stimulate it, produces most, if not all, kinds of vegetables appropriate for human ailment, in a more perfect and healthy state, than any soil which has been long under cultivation can be made to do. Nevertheless, by a proper application of physiological principles to agriculture, many of the evils which now result from improper tillage may easily be avoided, and the quality of all those vegetable substances which enter into the diet of man may be very greatly improved, both in regard to wholesomeness and deliciousness." But while the people of our country are so entirely given up as they are at present to gross and promiscuous feeding on the dead carcasses of animals, and to the untiring pursuits of wealth, it is perhaps wholly in vain for a single individual to raise his voice on the subject of this kind. 
The farmer will continue to be most eager to increase the number of his acres, and to extort from those acres the greatest amount of produce, with the least expense of tillage, and with little or no regard to the quality of that produce in relation to the physiological interests of man, while the people, generally, are contented to gratify their depraved appetites on whatever comes before them, without pausing to inquire whether their indulgences are adapted to preserve or to destroy their health and life. Yet if someone does not raise up a voice upon this subject which shall be heard and heeded, there will soon reach us, as a nation, a voice of calamity which we shall not be able to shut our ears against, albeit we may, in the perverseness of our sensualism, incorrigibly persist in disregarding its admonitions, till the deep chastisements of outraged nature shall reach the very bone and marrow of the human constitution, and fill our land with such a living rottenness, as now in some other portions of the earth renders human society odious and abominable. Whether, therefore, my voice shall be heard and heeded or not, I will obey the dictates of my sense of duty, and solemnly declare that this subject demands the prompt and earnest attention of every agriculturist and of every friend to the common cause of humanity, for it is most certain that until the agriculture of our country is conducted in strict accordance with physiological truth, it is not possible for us to realize those physical and intellectual and moral and social and civil blessings for which the human constitution and our soil and climate are naturally capacitated. When proper attention has been paid to the character of the wheat itself, the next thing is to see that it is thoroughly cleansed. Sometimes, in consequence of the peculiarities of the season, or climate, or soil, or some other cause, there will be a species of disease affecting of the wheat and grains, and this may be of such a character as not easily to be removed nor counteracted by any means, but more generally the rust and smut and dust which attach themselves to the skin of the grain may, by proper care, be so far removed as at least to render the meal or flour far more pure and wholesome than otherwise it would be. And here let me remark that they are greatly deceived, who suppose that the bolting cloth which separates the fine flour from the outer skin or bran also separates the impurities attached to the outer skin from the flour. By the process of grinding, these impurities are rubbed from the outer skin, and made quite as fine as any portion of the flour, and for the most part passed with the fine flour through the bolting cloth. To remedy this, it is perhaps generally true that in large flouring establishments, a kind of smut or scouring mill is an operation through which the wheat passes, and is pretty thoroughly rubbed or scoured without being broken, and after this it passes through a screen or winnowing mill, and thus is tolerably well cleansed and prepared for grinding. Yet this process by no means renders the wheat so perfectly clean and wholesome as washing. Those who have given little attention to this subject will probably think that the trouble of washing all their bread stuff before it is ground would be much greater than any benefit which would result from it, but a short experience in the matter would convince everyone who has a proper regard for the character of his bread that the trouble of washing his grain bears no comparison to the improvement effected by it. Indeed, they who become accustomed to washing their grain will soon cease to regard it as a trouble, and the improvement in the whiteness and sweetness of their bread will be so great that they would be extremely unwilling to relinquish the practice." When people are so situated that they can have things as they wish, they will also find that their bread is much richer if the grain is ground but a short time before it is cooked. The best way, therefore, is for every family to purchase a sufficient quantity of the best new wheat that can be produced by proper tillage in a good soil, and put that away in clean casks or bins, where it will be kept perfectly dry and sweet, and according to the size of the family, take from time to time as they need it one or two bushels, and wash it thoroughly but briskly in two or three waters, and then spread it out on a drying sheet or table, made for the purpose, and which is considerably inclined, so that the water remaining with the wheat will easily run off. The skin or bran of the wheat is so well protected by its own oily property, that little or no water will penetrate it, unless it be suffered to remain in the water much longer than is necessary. 
being thinly spread out upon the sheet or table in a good drying day, it will be sufficiently dry in a few hours for grinding. And I say again, let any one who loves good bread wash his grain a few times in this manner, and he will be very reluctant to return to the use of bread made of unwashed grain. It would be difficult to ascertain at how early a period in the progress of society, mankind, and the preparation of wheat for bread-making, began to put asunder what God has joined together, and to concentrate on the more purely nutrient properties, by separating the flour from the part commonly called the bran. The Bible speaks of fine flour or meal as a portion of the meat offerings of the temple, but it is not probable this approached very near to the superfine flour of present times. We are informed also that the Romans, more than 2,000 years ago, had four or five different kinds of bread one of which was made of the purest flour, from which all the bran was separated. This was eaten only by the rich and luxurious. A second kind, in more common use, was that from which a portion of the bran was taken, and a third kind, which was more generally used than any other, was that which was made of the whole substance of the wheat. A fourth kind was made mostly of the bran, for dogs. But at whatever period in the history of this race, the artificial process was commenced, it is certain that in direct violation of the laws of constitution, in relation which the creator has established in the nature of man this process of mechanical analysis is at the present day carried to the full extent of possibility and the farina and gluten and saccharine matter of the wheat are almost perfectly concentrated in the form of superfine flour nor is this all these concentrated nutrient properties of the wheat are mixed and complicated in ways innumerable with other concentrated substances to pamper the deprived appetites of man with kinds of food which always and inevitably tend to impair his health and to abbreviate his life. Even the bread, which is the simplest form into which human ingenuity tortures the flour of wheat, is, by other causes besides the concentration I have named, too frequently rendered the instrument of disease and death, rather than the means of life and health, to those who eat it. In cities and large towns, most people depend on public bakers for their bread, and I have no doubt that public bakers, as a body, are as honest and worthy a class of men as any in society. I have no wish to speak evil of any one, and it is always painful to me to find myself compelled, in fidelity to the common cause of humanity, to expose the faults of any particular class of men, when probably every other class in society is as deeply involved in errors, which, in the sight of God, evince at least an equal degree of moral turpitude. But public bakers, like other men, who serve the public more for the sake of securing their own emolument than for the public good, have always had recourse to various expedients in order to increase the lucrativeness of their business. To secure custom and profit at the same time, they have considered it necessary that a given quantity of flour should be made into a loaf as large and white as possible, and free from any disagreeable taste, while at the same time it retains the greatest possible weight. From a variety of causes, the quality and price of flour have always been very unstable. Sometimes the crops are small, or the foreign demand for flour or the home consumption is unusually great, or the season is unfavorable to the health of grain, and the wheat becomes diseased, or the harvest time is unfavorable, and the wheat sprouts before it is secured, or large quantities of flour become soured or musty, or, in some other manner, damaged. To counteract these things, and to make the most profitable use of such flour as the market affords them, the public bakers have been led to try various experiments with chemical agents, and there is reason to believe that in numerous instances they have been too successful in their practices for the well-being of those who have been the consumers of their bread. According to treatises on bread-making, which have within a few years past appeared in European scientific journals, alum, sulfate of zinc, subcarbonate of magnesia, subcarbonate of ammonia, sulfate of copper, and several other substances have been used by public bakers in making bread, and some of these substances have been employed by them to a very great extent and with very great success in the cause of their cupidity. 
they have not only succeeded by such means in making light and white bread out of extremely poor flour but they have also been able to disguise their adulterations as to work in with their flour without being detected by the consumers a portion of the flour of beans peas and potatoes and even chalk pipe clay and plaster of paris have been employed to increase the weight and the whiteness of their bread the use of alum in bread-making says a distinguished chemist appears to be very ancient it is one of those articles which have been the most extensively and successfully used in disguising bad flour and the various adulterations of bread its injurious action upon the health is not to be compared with that of sulphate of copper and yet daily taken into the stomach it may seriously affect the system thirteen bakers were condemned on the twenty seventh of january eighteen twenty nine by the correctional tribunal of brussels for mixing sulphate of copper or blue vitriol with their bread it makes the bread very white light large and porous but rather tasteless and it also enables the bread to retain a greater quantity of water and thereby very considerably increases its weight a much larger quantity of alum is necessary to produce these effects but when of sufficient quantity it strengthens the paste and as the bakers say makes the bread swell large if the statements of our large druggists can be relied on the public bakers of our own country probably employ ammonia more freely at present than any other substance i have named for a lash or salaritus is also used by them in considerable qualities but even where these adulterations are not practised the baker's bread is very rarely a wholesome article of diet if any dependence is to be placed on the testimony of several of the principal bakers and flour merchants in new york boston and other cities the flour which most of our public bakers work into bread is of a very inferior quality to what is called good family flour and for which they pay from one to three dollars per barrel and they sometimes purchase large quantities of old spoiled flour from new orleans and elsewhere which is heated and soured in the barrel and perhaps become almost as solid as a mass of chalk so that they are obliged to break it up and grind it over and spread it out and expose it to the air in order to purify it in a measure from its acid and other bad properties and then they mix it with a portion of much better flour and from this mixture they can make as they say the largest and finest looking loaf but should the public bakers always use the best of flour their bread as a general statement would still be very inferior to well-made domestic bread in point of sweetness and wholesomeness their mode of manufacturing bread to say the least of it destroys much of the virtue of the flour or meal and hence their bread is only palatable even to those who are accustomed to it within twelve or at the longest twenty-four hours after it is baked but i must repeat that in making these statements i am not prompted by any unkind feelings toward public bakers i have no doubt that they are as honest in their calling as any other class of men but perhaps there is no other class pursuing an interest founded on the necessities of their fellow-creatures whose expedients to increase the lucrativeness of their business are so immediately and universally injurious to the health of those on whom they depend for support if any of my statements are thought to be exaggerated or incorrect i can only say that with honest and benevolent intentions i have diligently sought for the truth and if i have been in any respect betrayed into error i have been misinformed by public bakers themselves who certainly ought to know the truth in this matter and who could have no conceivable reason for making the general character of their calling appear worse than it really is nevertheless i have no question that there are individuals in every city employed as public bakers who are too honest too conscientious too upright in heart to be guilty of any practice which they consider fraudulent or improper still truth compels me to declare that if we would have good and wholesome bread it must be made within the precincts of our own domestic household and by those whose skill and care are exercised more with a view to secure our health and happiness than their own pecuniary interest End of section three.